Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, growing in faith and friendship. Reading is taken from 1 John, chapter 1, to verse to the, chapter 2, verse 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Well, good morning, everyone. It's really lovely to meet you all, and uh, thank you for your welcome. It's been great worshipping with you uh, here this morning. It's also been uh, lovely to um, share with you, just as uh, bring greetings from Monmouth and being part of a Baptist family in this part of Wales. Uh, it's great, and I've really enjoyed getting to know your pastor, his family as well. Uh, it's really lovely uh, to be able to share together in the work of the gospel. As we look at this passage in 1 John, we're, uh, I'd like to draw your attention especially to verse 9. And uh, it's this, these words that John uses where he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. And that's a thought I'd like us to uh, explore together this morning. I'm sure many of us uh, will have seen in the news that forgiveness was something which uh, were probably the last recorded words of the Manchester bomber. Uh, we're told, allegedly, that he telephoned his mother and uh, his last words were, please forgive me. Uh, a man about to do something terrible, asking for forgiveness in advance. 
is that uh, where forgiveness lies? And uh, maybe you came across a story, of, uh, this is from a very different time, uh, about 20 years ago, when there were some hijackers who had terrorized some passengers aboard Indian Airlines. They held the jet hijacked for eight days, and in their final demand, uh, as they received that, their very final demand uh, before releasing the hostages was this, that, sorry, but everyone has to say, that I am forgiven, said the hijacker. And so disbelieving passengers stared back at him and he ordered them all to say, I forgive you, before he released them. Both those incidents tell us that people who do bad things have an interest in forgiveness. And I hope that you have an interest in forgiveness today as well. But how does forgiveness work? And that's something that John tells us about here. We know that in order to be forgiven, we need to confess, we need to come to Christ. And uh, John deals with this in quite a surprising way. And I hope that it help us, as we look at this, to receive forgiveness, but also perhaps to think about how we might offer it. The first thing John tells us about is that there are claims that people make. He was writing at a time when there were people who were making claims about what we would call sin. And the claims that they were making could really be summarized as saying that we, we don't sin, we don't have any sin, those kinds of things. So you probably noticed verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him but walk in the darkness, we lie. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned. So there are these claims which all reflect a false teaching that at one time or another has still been taught in the church. One was the idea that you could have fellowship with God and yet still live in darkness, live as if you weren't a follower of Jesus. There are still people who perhaps give that impression today, that uh, you could come to God for some cheap forgiveness and then just live however you like. There are others who uh, claim that they no longer have a sin nature, a propensity to sin, combined with the idea that they've reached this sort of level of sinless perfection. Uh, This was a teaching popular uh, many decades ago, uh, but um, uh, maybe there are those who still teach this today. I wonder whether you feel that you have ever reached that plateau of a whole day without a sin, or whatever it might be. If you have, I'm sure you'll be able to tell me the secret afterwards. But the point is, the claim is these false teachers... Um, they were claiming that they'd never sinned or that they no longer sinned. There's no one who does anything. Uh, you know, we know there's no one who never sins. And actually, the way that John has worded this means that some people were saying, there was also never a time when I did something wrong. Now, the Bible makes it really clear that it just takes one act of rebellion to come between us and God. One sin to come between us. Like in the garden, there were loads of trees, weren't there? But there was only one out of all those thousands which they were not to touch. And it was only one that came between them and God. And one of the things that while we can read this and perhaps smile to ourselves at the thought that anyone could claim that they've never done something wrong or that they no longer do things wrong, we can still echo some of these ideas when we change or soften what God says is wrong. 
maybe in our own lives. You know, we um, might say instead of theft, it's helping ourselves to the perks of the job, or selfishness is standing up for my rights, or, well, the list could go on and on, couldn't it? Jealousy, envy, malice, bitterness, criticism, unforgiveness, all of these are what the Bible describes as things which make us guilty before God. There was a study done a few years ago, um, a survey and study in which people were asked about their sense of sin. And although 98% of people um, interviewed in this job, uh, in this um, survey, said they believed that people did personal things that were wrong in God's eyes, only two-thirds actually accepted the idea that everyone is sinful. In fact, people tended to say that most people make mistakes but are not sinful in themselves. Is that you? Yeah. You don't actually, you know, really, you're not really a bad sinner. You make the occasional mistake. Well, we can think like that. But the trouble is it led to the idea that many people responded in this survey saying something along these lines. The day I die... I will only have to look up at my maker and I will be able to say, take me, not forgive me. See, that's what, what just calling our sins mistakes or whatever, uh, it means that we have this very softened idea that somehow or other God is going to kind of just let us off. And the problem with this idea is, uh, having looked at the claims, John goes on to describe the consequence. And it's quite a shocking one. He says if we claim to be without sin, we don't have fellowship with God, but he says something even more serious. He says in verse 10, we make God out to be a liar. And the logic that John is using here is simply this. If God says you've sinned, you've broken his laws, and you say, I've done nothing of the kind, then you're saying God is wrong. If you're right, then God is wrong. And John says that's the logic. You're making him out to be a liar. But it's actually more serious because he's saying, uh, as if that wasn't bad enough, he's saying, if you're making God out to be a liar, you're also saying that you don't need a saviour because it's sinners who need a saviour, isn't it? Isn't that why God sent Jesus into the world? His whole plan, his whole way of dealing with everything in preparing the world for Jesus right back to Adam and Eve was because God had a a rescue plan in mind to rescue sinners and mend our broken friendship with God. So if we deny sin, we make God out to be a liar and we say that we have no need for a saviour. All Jesus is then is just some sort of example to us or a moral teacher or whatever it might be, but not a saviour who mends our broken friendship with God. If you don't have any sin, why do you need a saviour? That's John's logic here. So Jesus' death would actually have been pointless, wouldn't it? Unless it's true that we need forgiveness, if we need to be made clean on the inside, and all these other things that John talks about. Now, there are people, of course, in the world today who believe that our problems aren't caused by sin. Of course, there are many factors that affect the bad things that happen in the world. Maybe it's the wrong environment. If you put a child in a a wrong environment, then it's going to behave in a certain way. 
Or maybe it's bad government, and that's why the world is like it is. But the Bible says the root of the problems in our world is our broken friendship with God, dealing with this broken relationship with him. So John tells us that sin is a fact and that we need forgiveness, um, and that's why uh, when he comes to uh, describe in verse 9, Uh, The remedy is that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us. So this is uh, the gist of what John is getting at. The Christian life, says J.C. Ryle back in Victorian times, is a holy violence. It is a conflict, a warfare, a soldier's life, A wrestling against sin. That's where our fight ought to be taking place. Against what's wrong in me. And John tells us that in order to receive God's forgiveness, we have to confess our sin. And confession has two parts to it. In particular, it's acknowledging that I've done something wrong, that I need a saviour. But it's also about a change of direction, turning around and going in a different way. It's about going God's way instead of my way, because I know that Jesus has died for me. That's where God's love lies, at the cross and what he's provided for us to rescue us from our sin. So John says, if we confess, if we acknowledge our sin, He is faithful and he will forgive us and cleanse us. So if we come to God and say, I need your forgiveness, I need your power in my life, I need a change of heart, then the promise here is that he will forgive us. Of course, we have to admit it. But notice that John is really talking about how we walk with God. He's not talking about a destination. That was the error in his day of people who thought, well, I've confessed my sins, so I'm now sinless or whatever it might be. He says, no, what what confessing is, is about turning around and saying, I'm going to go God's way. I may not get it all right, but I'm going to keep going his way. I'm going to ask him for his grace and his strength and his help to change my heart and my life. Now, um, there was once an international publishing conference, and there was a a young Frenchman who described the experiences of, of his life in a book and he was attending a book signing event and there was a lady who picked up one of his books and she browsed through it and as she looked through the book she suddenly burst out at last she said this is a book that's clean and he gently said to her I write clean because I think clean it's not an effort and what he was expressing in print just came from within and uh, perhaps he's describing what John knows to be true is that when Jesus is in our lives, he begins to change us so that what comes out of us is more like Christ. So in, in confessing our sins, we're breaking through, as it were, to the cross of Jesus, breaking through in confession to find God's forgiveness and strength. So having explored the claim and the confession that's mentioned here, John tells us about the justice of forgiveness. And that's why I'd especially like us to look at this verse in verse 9. John has built up this picture that we are sinners, that no one's exempt, not even Christians. We all let God down, we let ourselves down, we let each other down. 
But he says, here is the turning point. If we confess our sins, God will forgive us. But notice how John tells us God is going to forgive us. If you were writing this letter, I wonder what you'd say. If it was me, this is what I'd have written. If you confess your sins, God is loving and kind, and he will forgive you. Isn't that what you'd say? It's certainly what I'd write. That's what I think I'd say. If you confess, because he loves you, because he's merciful, because of all these things, he will forgive you, make you clean. But John doesn't say that. He says something very radical, very challenging. He says, God is faithful and just. He says it is just for God to forgive you. He says, he claims it is right for God to forgive you. Have you thought of it like that? There's a sense in which, of course, in verse 7, he's talked about Jesus cleansing us from sin by his death on the cross, his blood shed for us. God forgives those who acknowledge their sin, of course. But he doesn't forgive us just because he loves us or because he's feeling kind and merciful. John is actually using a very Old Testament idea here. The idea of the everlasting, steadfast love of God, the faithful love of God, in this covenant, this promise that God has made that he'll be committed to his people. So God is saying, uh, John is telling us that God forgives us because he is fair as well as because he is faithful. You know, back in 1775, the hymn writer Augustus Toplady um, uh, published um, that, a, a very famous hymn, which um, I'm sure you know, uh, know very well, um, The Rock of Ages Cleft for Me. Uh, about running to Jesus for shelter and safety and forgiveness, that we can't repay the debt we owe to him. But what many people don't realize is that it was actually part of an article that Augustus Toplady wrote in 1775 about the national debt. And uh, in it, he was anxious about the national debt. In fact, he said that it was so great that all the money in Europe would not be able to repay it. There we are. 1775, still a discussion. But his, his train of thought turned to our own debt to God. And he started to imagine, what would it be like if we owed God a debt for every sin we make? And uh, he said, well, perhaps if we sinned once a day for 80 years, we'll let them go past, shall we? Once a day for 80 years, you're doing the maths now, aren't you? 29,000 sins, that would be. Not too bad. 29,000 by the time you're 80. So there are probably most of us, many of us here, who've already clocked up our 29,000 sins. But he goes on to say that actually it's very likely that our whole attitude to God is pretty rebellious. Um, And uh, imagine this rebellious attitude covered every second of our lives. There would be two and a half trillion sins of debt. Not two and a half trillion pounds or dollars, but imagine that sort of debt weighed up against you. Now, the point he was trying to make is that we just stand in need of God's forgiveness, don't we? And the way we receive that forgiveness is by confessing our sins, 
But the reason God forgives is because he is faithful and just. What does that mean? It means that God is faithful that he will do it because he said he will. He can do it. He doesn't lie. He's not going to change his mind. You can count on the fact that if God has said you'll turn to him, he will forgive you. We can count on it. He will do it because he is faithful. So he doesn't forgive us and make us clean because he's easygoing or because we've fluttered our eyelashes or we've done the puppy dog eyes or please, 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 please or whatever other things children usually try to get forgiveness out of their parents or something out of them. God isn't swayed like that. He's faithful to his promise. He said, I will do it. He's he's pledging himself as God to say, I've promised to forgive if you turn to me. We don't have to twist his arm because he's made this commitment. And that's why John goes on then to say, he is also just. He offers his justice his fairness as a ground for it. It's right for God to forgive you because Jesus has paid for your sins on the cross. And John has this idea in mind that it would actually be unjust and wrong if God did not forgive you and me. Now, isn't this a a wonderful thought? It means, let's imagine an impossible situation, but let's imagine that we've done something wrong and we come to God in our prayers and uh, we ask for his forgiveness and God says, well, actually, I'm not feeling very forgiving today. I'm not sure I want to forgive you. On what basis could we go to God and say, but, but you should forgive me because, well, why? What would you say? Well, John says, you should forgive me because you've promised to, you're faithful but you should also forgive me because Jesus has paid for those sins already. They're already paid for. Whether they're two and a half trillion or 29,000 or however many they might be, he has paid for them and it would be unjust. It would be unjust for God not to forgive us. That's how John wants us to grasp and live in the light of the cross. He wants us to to take hold of the cross in such a way that we're not just inspired by the love and sacrifice of it all, but so that we're also standing on the security of saying, someone has paid it for me. That's the justice of forgiveness that John has in mind here. And it's the forgiveness that takes away my sin. And um, uh, maybe... Uh, you've heard the story of someone who was confessing their sins and, and hoping that God uh, might forgive them and on what basis they, they might do that. And uh, this person said that in their response, if God does not forgive me, he has more to lose than I do. Because he loses the promise that he's made, so he loses his word, his trust. He loses the effectiveness of the cross. So we can come so boldly to God because we can say, well, Lord, you've promised it and you're God. You don't seem to be a God that breaks promises. And he's a God who's provided it because Jesus has died on a cross. And so there is something of justice in God's forgiveness. In fact, the word that um, uh, 
we could think of about God dealing with our sins is that he takes it away. He remembers them no more. He makes us clean. Uh, you know, when the um, first translations of the Bible were being translated uh, into the language of uh, the Eskimos, they discovered that there was, I know I shouldn't use the Inuits uh, or whatever it might be, they discovered that in their language there was no word for forgiveness. And so they were trying to work out what word could we use. And after much patient listening and learning a language and so on, they discovered that they did use a word that means not being able to think about it anymore. And that's what they used. So in that version of the Bible, as they'd read through, wherever the word forgiveness comes, it would say, God's not able to think about it anymore. He's forgotten it. He's put it aside Just as it says in Jeremiah, I will forgive their sin and remember it no more. Wonderful, isn't it? Now, I hope that you might think about this verse through the week. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. I'm so glad that we worship a God who is faithful, a God who is just, as well as a God who is loving and merciful. But as John tells us this, there are probably some implications for our lives that we should also take with us. And the first is that this should fill us with even greater humility. Because if God forgives me because it's right, what have I done that should deserve such immense sacrifice that the God of the universe should provide forgiveness for me? It should really humble us. There's no room for pride in any of the Christian life, is there? Because all we can say is, I'm a sinner who needs a saviour. And God's provided the saviour. And although it's just for him to forgive me, it's a humbling experience to say, I need that forgiveness. There's a second thing that can happen in our lives, is that it sets us free to be so thankful and grateful. It makes us want to serve the Lord who did so much to forgive us. So as well as receiving God's forgiveness, and I I hope that maybe you're being encouraged to do that afresh today, I hope that it's creating within us that sense of humility before God. Thank you, Lord, that you provided a way for me to be forgiven. And for one who's done so much for me, what can I do to repay him? I can't repay him, can I? But I can bring my, my life, I can offer myself to live for the Lord Jesus because he's forgiven me. And then, uh, perhaps thirdly, by way um, of application, we can also see here the power of what forgiveness can do in someone's life. Because forgiveness can deal with us in such a way that if Jesus has died for sinners, it means he's died for someone who has hurt me as well. And here is a mechanism which could change the world. As we sang with the children, you know, letting our light shine, uh, Jesus in my life can change the world. We sang that, a simple idea, but very powerful. Because someone who has been forgiven can offer forgiveness. And the justice of forgiveness says this, that Jesus has paid for their sin too. And if he's paid for their sin, it would be wrong for me to hold a grudge against them, wouldn't it? If God doesn't hold a grudge, if he doesn't seek revenge, then how can I 
So it's not a case of working ourselves up to try and find it within us, the kindness to forgive someone who has hurt us. There is a justice in what we've experienced that we're able to share with others. And maybe you've been hurt by someone, perhaps someone in a church. It's even more painful because you expect more from people in church. Or maybe uh, someone in your family. It's uh, painful when family rifts take place. But here John tells us the secret to offering forgiveness is receiving it from a God who is faithful and just. And if a faithful, just God has forgiven you, there's a mechanism for sharing that with others. So humbly and thankfully, we can receive forgiveness, but those who receive it from the faithful and just God can also share it with others. I think our community would be a different place, our church perhaps, certainly our society, if these truths were really lived out in our daily lives. So in a moment, I'm just going to lead us in prayer. And uh, during that prayer, I'm going to ask if maybe uh, there is uh, forgiveness that you need to receive from God. And then I'm going to ask if there's forgiveness you need to offer to someone else. So let's just pray together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Father, thank you for being a faithful and just God who's made a way for us to be able to count on your forgiveness, not hope that you might feel like it one day and worry that you might change another. Thank you that your forgiveness for us is real and it's because you've already dealt with our sins at the cross of Jesus. So Lord, we bring to you now our need for forgiveness. Maybe, Lord, there's something that we've held back and you've put your finger on it. There's something in our lives that you don't like about us and want us to put right. We confess it now. Or, Lord, maybe there's someone here this morning who hasn't yet opened their heart to Jesus, come to the cross and said, I am a sinner and I do need the cross. I do need the forgiveness that comes from Jesus. Pray, Lord, that you'll cause in that open heart your forgiveness and love to come. And Lord, we also pray for those who we find it hard to forgive. Particularly, Lord, when we've experienced personal uh, personal uh, hurt and pain. Thank you that you've given a mechanism here for us to be real about our feeling of pain or loss or sadness, and yet the ability to come and forgive on the grounds of what Jesus has done. So we do, as we've already prayed, forgive those who sin against us. And Lord, help us to shine your light in this different way of living compared to the world which is filled with revenge, recrimination, Help us to show a different way that's based on your faithfulness and your justice and your love. That a forgiven people might be a forgiving people. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, 
please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.